0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Luke 16, starting at verse 19. So the last time we talked about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Really good scripture speaking about, well, how are we justified? Pharisee thought he was justified by his works. A lot in religion are taught. It's through self-effort that we get to heaven. Um, Of course, Jesus completely debunks that if we are Christians. Certainly we have to follow his teachings. Speaks about pride. It speaks about humility. It speaks about a whole host of issues. And this morning the service is on the uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and we'll look at that, um, you know, in context. If we look at where Jesus was in the Scripture, uh, if we look at the events that took place uh, shortly before that, um, he spoke about the parable of the unjust steward, and this was a person who, even though they weren't doing the right thing, they were setting things up so that they could establish a more secure future. And Jesus said, you know, Christians should do that more often. You know, these topics keep coming up. You see, when we go through the Bible and we don't just settle for a rote religion, we go through the Bible, we actually see that we have personal responsibility. Not everybody likes that. Really, God has expectations on me? Yeah, and and he should. Another thing Jesus spoke about just before this parable was the fact that the religious leaders loved money. They became political, they became elitist, they had status, they had, and they just really kind of forgot about God and were more concerned about their own aggrandizement. And really, in this parable, we have to not just focus on the rich man, and I'm going to cover that in his riches, because a lot of things today, especially in Western culture, can distract people from even considering God. We're going to take this in four parts. So, jumping in in verse 19, Jesus says, There was a certain rich man, a certain rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. But Abraham said, "Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them." lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This is interesting because the parables were often general hypothetical stories that conveyed a spiritual truth. Now, Last Sunday, we spoke about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, Jesus kind of focuses in. And when you start focusing in and get close to people, you can touch a nerve. So Jesus now goes from hypothetical situations to the group of Pharisees and the group of tax collectors. Here, it gets even more personal. He says, a certain rich man, a certain rich man and a certain beggar, Lazarus, by name. So now he even names the person, the other person who's involved in this parable. And people ask the question, well, and you know, again, I I will talk about theologians, how they all get into the room and kind of argue points that I don't think are very important. But was this something that really took place? Or was it another purely hypothetical? I kind of tend to lean to the group that says that these were two people that Jesus in his omniscience, all-knowing, knew, existed, walked the earth, both died and where they went. That's pretty impressive. You know, Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus speaking about before he came to the earth. He, he watched what was going on in the heavenlies being fully God. But I do believe that these were two people that existed and they both died. So let's look at one out of four. Who were the actors? Well, verse 19, the rich man. Purple meant wealth. Again, we have to go back 2,000 years, we have to go back to that culture before, you know, you could go to the store, in any store, and pick up a bunch of dyes. They're like $4 a bottle, and they all cost the same amount. We've learned how to make dyes pretty, pretty cheaply. Um, somebody's making a face at me, maybe they're $10 a bottle. I don't know, I haven't bought dye in a while. But, <laughs> but back in those days, in order to get purple, you had to send divers to get, pick up these sea mollusks and each sea mollusk could only produce like a small drop of this purple dye. So it was extremely expensive because how you had a harvest to get the color purple. See what I'm saying? Other things in nature came easier, but purple was extremely expensive. So only somebody who is wealthy could afford to, to wear purple. He also fared sumptuously every day. Every day was a feast. Every day was a party, when the average person could only feast or party like that, maybe during a wedding, and that was it. It didn't happen very often, but this guy, it's every day. And folks, the truth is that many today, even if they're not wealthy, are distracted with the pursuits and the pleasures of this world, like this rich man was. Again, we can argue minutiae and little points But the bottom line is, Jesus was saying, don't be so distracted that you miss the kingdom. Because once you die, it's too late. Now, the rich man didn't end up in hell because he was rich. He ended up there because he didn't consider God while he was on the earth. Remember, he's speaking to Father Abraham. Abraham was somebody who, if you read Genesis, had wealth. But he had an incredible faith in the Lord. And even when it came between him and his nephew Lot about certain land... Abraham, with wealth, it, it, didn't, it didn't master him. Yeah, all right, Lot, you take that area. I'll, you know, our people are fighting. Let me move away. You take the better land. So Abraham was a wealthy man, but he didn't, let it, he didn't let it rule him. Verse 20, Lazarus now is full of sores, and he's laid at the rich man's gate. And we could surmise that he was sickly and disabled, and he was laid at the gate so he could beg. I love the details Jesus puts in the parables. Um, I smirk. Some of it really has nothing to do with doctrinal issues, but I just, I just loved his parables. And listen, I have two dogs. <laughs> and he talked about the dogs that were licking his sores. My dogs are always licking. They're licky, licky, licky constantly. But if you are sickly, your dog will come up to you. It's really, I don't know, it's how God Im- ingrained it in me. It's a labor of love. It's actually a form of debridement. With their coarse tongues and their saliva, they they remove, we have nurses in the the audience here, uh, they remove bad tissue, bacteria, you know, it's debriding the wound, and it actually helps to clean it out. So um, there you go, a little side note about dogs. (laughs) The caveat there here is though, you know, some who are familiar with the Bible may say, Pastor Joe, is this the Lazarus who's the brother of Mary and Martha? I don't think so. I think this is a different Lazarus, and I'm going to cover that. But what happened to Lazarus that he ended up in this condition? Well, we don't know, but what we do know is that in the Old Testament, uh, we were, the, the Jewish people were commanded in God's word to care for and to help the poor. Now, you know what's, what's odd is that there was a, a doctrine back then, which we have today in the prosperity gospel, that taught that if you were rich, you had God's favor. Conversely, if you were poor, you didn't. So this might have been a contributing factor, this false teaching, to why um, some of the, the, those with means who were also Jewish were not doing their job. I mean, to leave the guy at the gate and just let crumbs fall and he would pick up pretty much the garbage wasn't really taking care of the poor. Two out of four. Both men die. Death is the great equalizer, isn't it? proverbs 22 2 says the rich and poor have this in common the lord is the maker of them all right so lazarus dies and he's transported to heaven by the angel sort of like a heavenly motorcade an angelic motorcade but the rich man is buried probably a really nice you know and back in those days a lot of the poor couldn't afford a burial you know they couldn't afford prudential or you know met life so uh they were disposed of sadly and you know, some of them in an unhumane manner. However, who he really was, his soul, his spirit, his, his, his uh, uniqueness, the angels took him and transported him to heaven, which is pretty impressive. No angelic escort for the rich man. Now, understand this, that, again, you can misread and, and we can use the culture to do eisegesis and misread the parables, Lazarus didn't go to a good place because he was poor, and the rich man didn't go to a bad place because he was rich. But check this out. Lazarus, Lazarus had faith and trust in God in spite of his sufferings and his trials. And the rich man neglected God in spite of his blessings. You see the opposites here? Again, we can turn on some of these popular TV preachers, and you know they'll say something different, but I'm going to stick with what God's Word says. So, you know, folks, good people still go through trials and suffering. And in spite of the horrible condition that Lazarus was in, he still had faith and trust in God. And if this was a true story, or this was a real event, he's been enjoying glory for thousands of years. That, That little time that he was on the earth, that he suffered, has all been washed away. Amazing. 23. The rich man was in torment. Now, in the course of my life, I've tried to talk to a lot of people about Jesus. I've talked about, you know, I'm, I really focus more on Jesus than a whole heaven and hell thing. Because Jesus really, just like I said in, in, the, in, in the announcements, and in, in before we kind of came into the parable, is Jesus is really the focal point of everything. Actually, if you look at him, he's smack dab in, the, in between the Old Testament and the New. Right? The Old Testament has Jesus Christ veiled, the New Testament has him revealed. So he is the center of everything. Even Jesus, when he spoke about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit, you receive him, and he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit's main job is to not focus on some preacher and aggrandize him. It's to focus on Jesus Christ. But I've met some who scoff at the idea of hell. Some of them... You'd be surprised. I talk to a lot of people have gone as far to say, I don't know if they go to a school together and they have this discussion, but, you know, hey, I'm going I'm to meet my friends. We're all going to party. We're going to have a good time in hell. Yeah, that's a really foolish idea. You know, and it's certainly, when you die, is not the time where you can't go back and the door's closed to say, uh-oh, I should have done a little bit more research on the subject. It's not funny. It's not a party. And look, it's some, you know, again, I don't get offended. You know, people will scoff at me, they'll, they'll rebuke uh, any type of you know, sharing of the gospel. I don't get offended because it's not hurting me and I don't have to defend God. I'm just here to give the truth and you can accept it or you cannot accept it, it's up to you. But when we look at today, today's culture, you could take riches and wealth and substitute it for anything. And people have a lot of excuses for why they can't even consider God. And I did for years, by the way. It took me until 25 or 26 to finally, you know, get it. <laughs> but, you know, people will talk about, well, I'm going to school. Well, I'm working on this degree. Well, I'm, I'm working on this promotion. Well, um, you know, just endless pursuits. You know, I, I have to laugh because when I see the commercials, <laughs> I see the commercials for, like, uh, these senior developments. And you, you would think that, I guess, senior citizens from these commercials, that it, the basic, the message is, listen, you worked your whole life, golf every day, play bocce ball, you know, go in the pool, and, and you know, it's like this, it's like Disney World for seniors, you know what I'm saying, 55 and older. Um, I mean, I know a lot of seniors, I know that they're not doing that every day, especially not Christians, but, but this is the worldly mentality, you deserve this, and you know what's really sad for people who are getting closer and closer to their life being over on this earth, that's really a frightening prospect. Just like this rich man, to completely distract them with playing so they don't consider the day they step into eternity. The world is an evil place, folks. And that's why I, t- I talk to Christians and I try to say, don't make your utopia here. Because God never intended that. There's only one place where the utopia is. So... We continue, three out of four is doctrinal issues. Uh, If you're a student of the Bible, you understand this as soteriology, the study of salvation. Verse 24, the rich man calls out to Abraham for relief, and Abraham replies with facts about eternity. If we could put up image one, I'll show you a few things regarding this. So, people ask a lot of questions, and, you know, what happens when a person passes? Actually, there was this, again, when Jesus came, there was two kind of dimensions that were, were one was starting to fade, and the other one was starting to come full circle. Jesus could see it, God, the angelic beings, but humans could not see it, and Jesus had to explain it. So, what happened was, uh, here's death, right? And here's the body, the fleshly body, what we, what we all have to, that brought us and put us in our seats today. For the saved, they would go to this place of Hades in the New Testament or Sheol in the, in the Old Testament. Again, New Testament, Old Testament, they all line up. Sheol in the Old Testament it was a veiled idea, but it was the realm of the dead, where the dead go. Where do they go? Um, it's the same thing in the New Testament, and it, it has this great gulf and two compartments. So the saved would go where Abraham was. Why? Because he was the father of faith. Abraham was the one to whom the seed from his dead body that God brought to life in his old age, him and his wife, had children. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? The 12 tribes of Israel, Judah. All the way down the line of Judah was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So through Abraham was the seed, was faith, was the promise of salvation. So fitting, Abraham, I guess you could say he kind of ran the place where he was the head person in this good place, right? But there was a great gulf, this chasm where people could talk to each other. Um, maybe they could see each other, but they couldn't pass from one place to the other. And this was the bad place for the unsaved, for those that you know, scoffed at God's way of salvation, for those that lived their self-directed life never considered God. And then what happens is, when Jesus died on the cross, this is pretty impressive. What Jesus did, Ephesians 4 tells us, before he ascended into heaven, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And what his resurrection did was it brought a situation where all the saints could actually now be in God's presence. Because remember, the sinful, sinful flesh can't inhabit eternity. The sinful soul can't be in the presence of God. It wasn't until Jesus covered the sins of everybody which gave the opportunity for him to take them and you know bring them, escort them into heaven, which they are now. Now, in one place or one point in time, which is our future, God will give us First Corinthians fifteen a glorious body, so we'll be you know, we'll have not like this body that gets sick and dies and things like that. Uh, so it's going to be pretty neat now here these people are still here um in revelation 20 in the great white throne judgment god will judge the evil and the wicked and he will send them to the lake of fire limne in the greek for all eternity so there you have it uh, it's people don't realize oh you know the bible is a simple fairy tale no god actually has structure and he has an order to the way he does things now the way i look at this is so what's what's with the temporary place here? To me, it reminds me of if somebody committed an indictable offense, a crime, and the police catch him, and they book him, and they fingerprint him, and mugshot him, and give him his paperwork, and he sits in the local lockup for a while till he gets bailed out. Bail reform's kinda changed all that, but uh, basically what happens is the person doesn't go to the state pen until he goes before the judge. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So we have a system in our jurisprudence where We don't even allow a local judge and the police to condemn a person. They actually have to go before a superior court judge or a higher judge. um, And then with that person, he or she and the jury, their fate is determined. And if they're truly guilty, they go to a final place. So if we think about that in American jurisprudence, it's not really that hard to understand. They have to, everybody has to go before the judge. The Christians, when we go before the judge, it's different. We're not there to be condemned. Our sins have already been paid for. So it's, if you actually look at it, it's very interesting. Philippians 1.21 and Second Corinthians 5.8 tells us at this point in time that when a believer dies, their soul goes right to be with God. It also, there's a lot to this, folks. And for those of you that are studying the Bible, um, soul sleep, some religions teach that when a person dies, they're kind of like in comatose. Well, if you look at this, they're having conversations. So they're not. There's a consciousness there. Um, the atheists, some of the atheists like to believe that when they die, everything ceases; They cease to exist. Unfortunately, they're going to find out that they're wrong when they wake up in eternity. This is why it's so important for us to tell people about the good news of salvation. Also purgatory, it's another doctrine that says, and it's only found in one apocryphal book. It's not even found in the scripture that a whole doctrine was made out of, that, you know, you, you're you purged in the fires of purgatory and people have to pray you out and light candles and eventually you get to go to heaven. No, 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 no. Fire, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, was always a symbol of judgment. This is why I'm here. Because if we believe, like the Universalists, that everything's fine at the end, no matter what you do or believe, then there'd be no reason for preachers. So something that's very sobering, something that definitely we need to consider if we don't know the Lord, and you've walked in here for the first time, God's trying to get your attention. Now, the rich man was hoping for a drop of water and hates. Lazarus, while he was on earth, was hoping for some crumbs. Lazarus, at this point, couldn't understand the rich man's suffering, and on the earth, the rich man couldn't understand Lazarus's suffering. I'm not making a doctrine out of this, but I am just saying, especially in the times we live in, that we need to try to understand people. Right? Your experience, how you were born, and you were raised is different from mine, and where you came from. You know, when I grew up and my parents got divorced, they used to call it back then, we were on welfare. I know the, the words change. And it was a struggle for my sister and I and my mother. It was very, very difficult. That kind of colors some of the way I am today, how I want to help people, you know because I know what I went through as a boy, it was very difficult. Um, as a police officer, seeing death for 25 years, it's why I'm a little bit intense when it comes to seeing people get saved, because I've seen so many dead situations that um, you know, it's, it's given me a drive and a passion to make sure, if, if I have anything to say, that people are gonna consider God and, and p- tr- push them in that direction so they're in a good place when they die. So. We all have a different experience, folks, and I think it's another problem, what I said during announcements was that people don't talk to each other. Today, people in our culture don't understand each other. And I think we should really, as Christians, go the extra mile to try to understand somebody who's different from us, and maybe there'll be a friendship that comes out of that. So, something to consider. Um, we need to understand the trials and difficulties of others, not just say, well, I'm, I'm in a good place, I'm okay but a lot of people aren't. We continue, the rich man calls out to Father Abraham, which means that the rich man had to be Jewish to be calling out to Father Abraham, which means that while he was on the earth, he had the books of Moses, he had the Old Testament at his disposal. Unfortunately, he didn't consider it. Now he's become very religious. Father Abraham, oh, Father Abraham, please, I know you can do this, but unfortunately at this point it was too late it was too late. Verse 25, Abraham said, son, remember you received good things while on the earth. And it wasn't, it's not a negative thing to receive good things, but the problem was the rich man worshiped those good things. I know people who handle millions of dollars, who are amazing. They don't, they don't embezzle, they don't steal, they don't let it make them crazy. Um, They handle blessings in a positive way, they're generous, they're helpful, they consider others uh, very impressive. And others who, they get a few bucks and uh, they go crazy with it. They start to think they're better than other people and it's just weird, it controls them. So my question to you and me is, how do we handle the blessings on this earth? Do we let it turn us into a different person? Do we let it master us or do we master it? It's an important question. You might say, well, it doesn't affect me. I'm struggling right now. That might change in a year. You might all of a sudden be given something of great value. Remember, remember my words. You know? Don't let it change you for the worse. Don't let it master you. You master it. And the rich man, unfortunately, let it master him and change him. Verse 27 and 28, the rich man desires to save his brothers who were still alive. He seems to have only two concerns. The first one is, I'm suffering. I need some water. Understandable. The second one is, I don't want my brothers ending up here. Understandable. And I don't want to read too much into it, but it almost seems like he still has the idea that Lazarus is a beggar. Abraham. He didn't ask Abraham, can you like squirt the fire hose over here? I could really use some water. He said, could you send Lazarus over here? I I need to be ministered to. And then he says to Abraham again, can you send Lazarus? Again, I'm not trying to read too much into it. Can you send Lazarus over to my brothers? It's like, let, let me send the servant. Because that's what I remember him on the earth. You know what I'm saying? I, I think he, in a lot of ways, he still doesn't get it. He has the wrong picture of how, how death equalizes us all. You know? And you know, the cool thing about Christianity is when we become Christians, that's the great equalizer too. You know, you read Revelation and, and he looks around in heaven and there's every tribe and kindred and tongue and culture. That's what heaven to me is going to look like because I read it in the scripture. A lot of different people from different parts of the world, different experiences, different languages, different pigmentation, all in the same place, having a great old time. I love that. Four out of four. The last part is everyone has a choice regarding what they will believe, which will determine where they go when they pass. And that includes everyone here today. You know, I, I'm, I hear experiences, I hear people say about maybe nightmares that they've had about this kind of thing. Well, now that you saw it, somebody might call me up during the week and say, Thanks to you, <laughs> I'm having a nightmare, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I woke up in a cold sweat last night. Well, if it gets you to consider eternity, you're welcome, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, God is, is, is a loving God. He gives us many... This isn't the, the end-all, be-all. This, this, is, this is just the proving grounds. This is a temporary layup. Again, Lazarus has been really having a great time for the last 2,000 years. No sores, no pain, no hunger, He's really doing well. Um, Some, when when they hear a message at a funeral, they hear about the afterlife. And you know, what do people do? They leave the funeral, they're frightened, and they distract themselves, they turn it off, instead of considering it, instead of that, you know. And again, as a young person, that was me. I went to funerals, and I was terrified when I heard some stuff, and then I just left there, and like, and this was just me. "Ah, I'll have a few beers tonight, everything will be fine. And that never fixed anything, obviously. All it did was make my problems worse. So, you know, we look at these things, we hear these things for a reason. Um, God gives every person, I believe, in this life an opportunity to consider him. But he's not going to force us. He did give us free will. Verse 29, Abraham's response was, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. And this was, this was God's word at the time, before the New Testament was codified, Right? And we also have the whole Bible as believers today, or even people today. You can't go anywhere in the United States without seeing a church somewhere or a billboard about Jesus or a scripture. There's really no excuse for us not to consider eternal things. You know, you might even know if you're not a believer, know some Christians that are maybe weird. <laughs> you like, I don't want to be like that. Well, why don't you do the research and see that Christians are not always a reflection of Christ. Do it for yourself. Go go into it and, and see. Maybe they're in a cult. Maybe they say they're Christians. Maybe they're carnal Christians. God wants you and him. You don't have to go through the people that you know, it's just you and him. Here at the church we facilitate. We don't tell you what to do, we don't tell you where to live, we don't tell you who to marry, we don't do that. There's some places that do, and I think that's weird. We just want to help you get closer to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 30. The rich man's response is No, my brothers, if somebody rises from the dead, how ironic they will believe. You know, if you send my brothers, you know what's amazing? He didn't know his brothers as well as he thought he did. If you send my brothers somebody who's resurrected, that'll do the trick. A miracle or sign and Abraham said basically I'm paraphrasing it won't make a difference now check this out because I I love to you know look at conjecture and stuff I mean if this was a recent event Jesus wasn't far from the cross so in, in a short span of time maybe while the rich man's brothers were still alive maybe one passed but at least four of them were still around Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he's buried, and he rises again. And then he he appears to over 500 people, and he ascends into heaven. Is it possible that Abraham just had that foresight and said, it's not going to make a difference? Because I tell you the truth, it's not going to be long where Jesus is going to rise from the dead, and your brothers still aren't going to be convinced. Amazing, isn't it? How powerful. If you're a seeker today, you need to check out, number one, the historical Jesus. Listen, even atheists know. I, I have a lot of friends. I don't just hang out with Christians. I love hanging out and trying to win the world to Christ. I have friends who are atheists, professors, you know, all kinds of backgrounds, uh, intellectuals, uh, government people. And uh, one thing we all can agree on, even, even the atheists, that a Jesus Christ did exist. Our whole numbering system, our year of 2017 is loosely based on, on the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? I know as much as they try to sanitize it, it's so weird. You see these courts and they actually put, you know, it's engraved in Marvel, like the Ten Commandments and Scripture and ACLU gets involved and, and they force like the judge to order somebody to come and just put plaster over it. You can do all that stuff all you want. God is not going to be sanitized. So, there is a historical Jesus. We can all agree on that. The next question is, was he the son of God? What about the claims that he made? Well, Jesus was a good man. Okay, he said he was God. If I knew somebody who said they were God, I'd be very suspicious of them. I'd watch my back. I wouldn't leave any knives or scissors around, you know what I'm saying? You've got to be a little concerned, a little careful. Jesus said he was God. So he's either a, he can't call him a good man if he's a quack if he's del- delusional. Keep going, keep digging. You know, it's just like the archaeologist. Oh, I found something. Keep digging. I found something else. I found the whole civilization. Keep digging. You're a seeker. You're considering Christ. Keep digging. You will find the truth that's out there. We have to check out his claims. Now, in John 11 and John chapter 12. There was another Lazarus. I think his name meant it was loosely transliterated from Eleazar to mean God is my help. So it was a common name. And here Lazarus, this other Lazarus in John 11 and 12, was the brother of Mary and Martha. Jesus raised him from the dead after four days of being in the tomb. And you know what happened when the religious leaders found out? Man, this stuff can't get out. This is really becoming a problem for us. So they conspired how they were going to kill Lazarus. <laughs> I, you know? So here's a man that Jesus raised from the dead, living proof that Jesus can raise people from the dead. I really believe Jesus purposely waited four days for him to just kind of start decaying. And then I think even his sister said, you can't roll that stone away. There's going to be a stench. No, Lazarus, come forth. Come on, let's go. <laughs> I've regenerated you all the bacteria is gone all the you know the decaying process has been reversed and what did they do they wanted to kill him so abraham is right and the bible is right and though jesus came back from the dead and so many people saw it and so many government officials in the roman empire were converted to where rome had to just kind of give up and say all right all right we'll let the christians live and this took centuries you can't fight the inevitable But people will still do it. They'll use a lot of energy, expend a lot of energy to try to fight the inevitable, to resist the truth. But the evidence is there. The evidence is there. Here's another thing that this, again, this is really good because there's a lot of doctrines out there that people say, oh, it's it's a Christian doctrine. Not necessarily. Signs and Wonders movement says that someone has to see a sign or a miracle before they get saved not according to Abraham, not according to the parable that Jesus told, right? It's got to come from the heart. You know, the, in Revelation, there's going to be such an awful time on the planet. This is, this is nothing. This is birth pangs compared to what the earth is going to see. And uh, the, the Antichrist with the false prophet and the dragon, they will do these signs and wonders to try to get the religious crowd on their side. You know, and people are still going to get saved during that time, and they're going to be like, "Wow, the whole world is drinking Kool-Aid. What is going on here?" Because signs and wonders will be used by the enemy. Signs and wonders in themselves doesn't mean that it's from God. Weeping statues, bleeding paintings—what does it point to? That's one thing. When you when you look at signs and wonders, what do the signs and wonders point to? Everybody flocking around the statue and and prostrating before it—that's not from God it's not signs and wonders a lot of people can't discern is it from god or is it not even moses when he challenged pharaoh pharaoh's magicians did some signs and wonders if there were any onlookers they'll like oh, pretty impressive pharaoh but then moses is um, you know moses did an ultimate sign and wonder and it you know people either had to believe or they didn't believe it's true today, too. You can't, I can't force, nor would I try. We can't compel anyone into the kingdom. It has to be a matter of faith. It has to come from the heart. Now, in closing, starting next Sunday, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet. And then we're going to go back to Romans in the New Testament. But Isaiah is pretty long, so we're going to be in it for a while. You know, I, have to, I get a little, um, I don't want to say emotional, but I get a little down when I, I teach something for a long time and I have to close the series. I really enjoyed teaching the parables for the last several months. But if I ask you, what do you think is the main focus in many of these parables? Salvation. Not all of them, but they're all loosely connected to being saved. What does that tell you? right? What does it tell you? It says that Jesus wants everyone to be saved. He gave his own life on the cross to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life. In Mark 8.36, Jesus asked the question, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Why? Because people are stubborn. Especially about coming to terms with the afterlife. And again, I'll raise my hand, that was me, very stubborn. To the point where I met Christians... Decades after leaving college and they couldn't believe I was saved. <laughs> don't, don't give up on anybody. If you feel the need to pray for them, pray for them. If you feel that there's an opening and you can share scriptures to comfort them or to encourage them, do it. You know, the person may be putting up a tough shell for you, but inside their heart might be changing. Jesus loved us so much that he gave us multiple warnings and encouragements. Because the scariest thing that anybody will ever hear or ever experience is, it's too late. The door's closed. God lovingly gave you dozens of chances. It's too late. But here's the good news. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. And right now, the seconds are ticking, we're still here. There's still time. That's the good news. Today, you could give your heart to the Lord. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m., On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.